Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy, and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark File. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with The Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark file. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be, I pump it in my spark file. I jump into my spark Welcome to the Spark File, where we believe that everyone, everyone is creative, but smart, creative people don't go it alone. I am Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell, and we are creativity coaches who help people fear less, create more, and bring their creative visions to life. If you're an OG member of the Spark File community, hey, welcome back, Sparkler. If you're joining us for the first time, hey, welcome, friend. Know that just by listening to this podcast, you are joining a warm and wonderful clan of creatives. But hold up. You may be asking yourself, what exactly is a Spark File? A Spark File is a place where you consistently collect all of your inspirations and all of your fascinations. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or you want to be making stuff all the time, you know that if you're not careful, your campfire of creativity can flicker out. Hey, don't despair. We're collecting kindling in the form of fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and peak curiosity to light a fire under our collective asses to make things like this podcast. Or a long-form investigation that processes perceived creative failure and makes something funny, wise, and optimistic out of it. Ah! Oh, I'm going to love this. Every episode, we're going to reach into our spark files and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us as well. This means we have more sparks than we can possibly use in this lifetime. Do we ever. Woo! So if something lights you up, we encourage you to take that thing and make something out of it. So without further ado, let's open up the, the spark, spark file. file. Laura Camion, welcome back to the Spark World. Spark Day. It's Spark Day. I love a good Spark Day. How you doing, little Laura Camion? Susie, percentage of people growing up that called you Susan versus Susie. Susie. Susie, all the way. When did you switch to Susan? Uh, my family always called me Susie, which is so funny now because when I think of it, I'm like, I don't strike myself as a very yeah, Susie, like a Susie. Susie. Yeah. But I, I still, I answer to it and I don't mind it at all. And it sort of reminds me of my dad, which reminds me of things that make me feel warm. So like yeah. high Susie quotient when I was younger. Okay. And I think probably when I went to school, you started to go by Susan. Well, not going by it, but just because, you know, that's, that's what I was called. Yeah. yeah Though Susan. I do remember there's, I if I'm remembering correctly, I have uh, 
like homework from when I was little or assignments that I did in class. And I would write my name out, Susie Blackwell. And was it with a Y or an I-E? I-E, S-U-S-I-E. S-U-S-I-E, not Mm -hmm. S-U-Z-I-E. S-U-S-I-E. This has been another episode of The Spark File. I'm sparked. (laughs) And so I just call you Suze, though, because I don't think Susie feels right to me. Uh, Sometimes I say Susie Q, but Suze, maybe you're like, you know what, Cams? I've never liked Suze either. I love all of it. I don't mind any of it. I enjoy all of it because I feel like all of it, The story I tell myself is it all comes from a place of affection and I'll take it. Yeah. 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 I know there's some people that prefer they're like, please use my, and I don't fault them for it. They're they're like, that's what feels right. I'm Nathan, not Nate. I'm Nicholas, not Nick or Nikki. And, Mm -hmm. and I respect all of it, but me, you can call me a lot worse and I wouldn't mind it. You hear that, everybody? We can call her anything. Just don't call me late for dinner. Hey, do you uh, 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 um, anything else to cover? Any other important conversation to cover Suze, off on? I'm going to say something that this is all going to be completely wrong scientifically. But I read an article today. <laughs> Here's some junk science coming your way, friends. Here's some total junk science. I read an article today about this little bay in Scotland where. They have actually researched there is a dolphin that talks to the turtles, the the porpoises. They literally have studied it. They they saw it happening. Yeah. Um, but there's something to do with like dolphins speak in sort of clicks. Uh-huh. And but they're at a certain register. And this dolphin, for some reason, doesn't talk to any of the other dolphins, but speaks at the frequency and the register of these porpoises. And so it's one of the very rare examples that they have. They're finding more and more, I think, just based on the technology that we have to discover things, but interspecies communication. I think there's a children's book for sure in that, if not a Pixar film. I think you're totally right. Yeah. So I just was like, you know what? That's just the kind of thing. It's not enough to be an entire spark. Or if it were, I would need to do a lot more research. (laughs) But I I love Nat Geo. And I love oh. like scientific things. And I'm sort yeah. of like, if I can use a scientific thing in an imaginary way, I'm all for it. I love it. We have to look into that. That's one of those things. I have a spark, but it's just me reading a headline. And- <laughs> well, I'll say this to Wes all the time. I'm like, babe, did you hear about this thing? And he's like, no, what is that? I'm like, I just read the headline. But the headline and I was hoping like that this. you would fill me in. <laughs> I do that to Nathan all the time where I'm like, hey, did something happen in Portugal of note? And he's like, yeah, did you read about that? And I was like, no, but I was hoping you hoping did so you, you could did. fill me in. Tell me everything. I get most of my news through you and Nathan. It's helpful because as a sensitive soul, sometimes the news is so overwhelming. It's so, yes, but I can take much. it a little better. You were the person who, I think you were my source of breaking news during the insurrection. Oh, I was. You were, I was like, yeah, I was just like, you go ahead and just. That's when I watched cable news, but I don't, we don't even have it anymore. You stepped off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'll be enough of that, sir. Less insurrection stories, more stories about uh, dolphins and porpoise. 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 <laughs> Speaking to each other. I'll take that. I'll take those stories. My children's book on that topic coming out in 2024. Hey, don't take my spark. You're right. I respect your spark. <laughs> respect the spark. Anything else to know before we launch? I think I hit on the important things of the day. <laughs> I feel like you did. World news. Um, Cam's. Mm-hmm. Where to begin with the spark I'm going to share with you today? Oh. I'm really, really, as I've said, I've teased several times in the past week. I'm really excited about the spark. I'm so excited about the spark and I need to have a just true confession, folks. I saw the name of it. So I don't know if my enthusiasm is misplaced, but I know the name of Susan Spark and based on it and what I think it is, I'm so fucking excited. But then again, my heart might be broken by it. So I'm trying to measure my expectations. Just to take it moment by moment. And um, I'm going to go on the ride. Here we go. Let's go on the ride. So you know, I love a good, what we call a let me try that again. You do. You do. I do. So back in 2020, in a spark that I did called Finishing Unfinished Business, I shared this concept of let me try that again. 
my friend Thomas Schulteis and I created a workshop called Let Me Try That Again, which is a framework for processing perceived creative failure. And Sparks on Sparks, Let Me Try That Again is the name of a benefit that Jonathan Bernstein and Steve Pasquale dreamed up for the Performing Arts Project. Steve and Jonathan conceived of this, let me try that again first. And what they envisioned was a a benefit where celebrated Broadway film and TV performers revisit a moment in their creative or performative life where they just shit the bed and they share the story of the perceived creative failure. And then live on stage in front of an audience, they do a let me try that again. And they take another swing at it. So let me try that again, this concept that Jonathan and Steve came up with. And the Let Me Try That Again workshop that Thomas and I created operate under the belief that as long as you can draw breath, you can clean things up, you can take another try at something, you can finish unfinished business. And it's best summed up in the words of John Lennon, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. I love that quote. I do too. I think it's, I attribute that to John Lennon. I hope that I, I'm not misattributing Will it. Someone but tell us, please, if you know that's not true, will you please write and tell us? So like, it's Mother Teresa. But if we don't hear from anyone, we're going to assume it's true. <laughs> I'm just going to keep going <laughs> and spreading misinformation. <laughs> so when I talked about it on the podcast a few years back, I shared some ways that you could take the let me try that again concept and make something out of it. The thing I like about finishing unfinished business and our creativity is that you get to explore something, you get to find peace in it, and then potentially you get to make something awesome out of it. So it's sort of, yeah, so it sort of settles something in your, that sense of restless unfinished business in your body and in your heart. And then potentially you actually get to make something out of it. So um, cut to a few weeks back. Beloved member of the Sparkfile community, Laura Coward. Hi, Laura. Yes. Laura, hi, Laura. Le- I feel like you should take a take a drink every time you hear Laura Coward's name on this podcast. Laura Coward left us a message. She left a message for both of us with a spark that is one of the greatest illustrations of Let Me Try That Again that I have ever encountered. And you have to remember, I have performed at, hosted, and sat through so many let me try that again performances like you have looked for these things i have looked into the eyes of the let me try that again yes but this one might be the king of them all it is a podcast created written and produced by actor and comedian connor ratliff called dead eyes Laura Camion. Laura Coward left both both of us this message, recommended the, this very sparky podcast, Dead Eyes. Did you happen to listen to the podcast, Dead Eyes? No. And I'll say, I knew you wanted this spark. I knew you wanted it. And I just, I knew it in my bones. I'm like, I love this so much, but I know Susie Blackwell. I and I know pounced. she's going to want this. I jumped on it. Yeah. So I stepped aside. <laughs> I stepped aside. Respect the spark. I respect the spark. I appreciate it. But I cannot wait. I cannot wait. You haven't listened to it yet, but lucky for you, Laura Camion, and you, Sparklers, and lucky for me too, I binged that podcast. And now I'm going to unpack for you why I think this is such a glorious example of how Let Me Try That Again can be such a spark of inspiration for humans and creatives. The Dead Eyes podcast begins with a voice saying, this is Dead Eyes, a podcast about one actor's quest to find out why Tom Hanks fired him from a small role in the 2001 HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers. That is your voiceover (laughs) intro. And that's it. This is the podcast. This is the conceit of the whole podcast, which has run for three seasons and 31 episodes thus Wait far. Wait a minute. So season one, season two, we didn't get to an answer. So we just can, we're, we're continually on the quest to find the answer. The adventure continues. Find out why Tom Hanks fired this actor from a small role in the 2001 HBO miniseries Band of Brothers. Can I just say, it feels also like a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like you're <laughs> like, I can imagine him just like needing to get 
to the inner circle of Tom Hanks in order to get the answer eventually. And I don't know if he has or not, but... You know what? I went back and forth about whether I'm going to reveal how far Connor has gotten in the 31 episodes. And I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell you. I won't ask you. Because I think it's like that old um, advertisement. It's not the destination. It's the journey. Yeah. Connor gets to some pretty satisfying destinations on the podcast. The journey is everything. It's everything. And I want people to, hopefully after you listen to this, if it sounds like your your cup of sparks, then you will go and you will, you'll listen to it. And if it's not, then you won't. But um, I'm just saying, I don't know how far you got and I won't ask you to spoil anything. As it is set up, yeah. it would entail needing to get into the inner circles or even into the mind of Tom Hanks to find out why he was fired. Yeah. And Presumably, if you have the ability to pick up a phone and ask that question, you wouldn't need to make a podcast about it. You wouldn't need to make 31 episodes of a podcast. Right? Okay. Right. So right. it's pretty fucking phenomenal. I'm with you. So uh, near the beginning of the podcast, we hear, right at the top, frankly, we hear from Connor Ratliff himself, who tells us this is a story about something that happened almost 20 years ago. He lets us know it's not an important story but it does involve one of the most popular and successful movie stars of all time, Tom Hanks, Mm -hmm. and it involves Connor. And there's a mystery at the heart of it that he's determined to solve the mystery of his dead eyes. So let's talk about Connor Ratliff and his allegedly dead eyes. So first, Connor. Now, I want to say I relate deeply to Connor Ratliff because Connor Ratliff is a working class actor. You may not know his name, but you've probably seen him on Mrs. Maisel or The Blacklist or Search Party. In fact, he plays my girl Bonnie Milligan's fiance on Search Party, which is where I first became aware of him. I might have also noticed him in the movie Don't Think Twice, which is the great movie that Mike Birbiglia uh, wrote and directed about improv. It's sort of set in the New York improv scene. And he's really, Connor Ratliff is great in that. I relate deeply to his like working class actor status because it's sort of, as an actor, it's where I'm kind of positioned. It's sort of like you audition, you get stuff. We have enough success to have our SAG insurance. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. he's, we're Mm -hmm. just like working class actors. So I see him. I just Googled him. Yeah. Yeah. Do you recognize Connor Ratliff? Yeah. He's really distinct. And, you know, I forgot to write this in my spark, but I'm going to say it now before I forget. It's not mentioned anywhere across the 31 episodes of the podcast Dead Eyes. I think Connor Ratliff has a very distinct voice, and at times it sounds like Tom Hanks's voice. Oh, interesting. Connor Ratliff, if you're listening to this right now, listen to your voice when you sort of come in, especially when it's you have a lot of breath and it's energized, like at the top of a segment, at the top of a commercial. It has tones that are similar two tones that Tom Hanks sometimes uses, but it's never mentioned. And I was like, anybody hearing this besides me? So I thought that was interesting. Interesting meaning like that potentially had something to do with it, but Tom Hanks isn't in Band of Brothers. No, 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 no. I don't think that had anything to do with Tom Hanks uh, claiming that Connor Ratliff had dead eyes, but I thought it was very interesting that their voices have at times a similar quality. I thought you were going to say, and then listening to his voice on Dead Eyes, it's actually his voice that sounds dead. I thought that's it how you were headed. And I was like, huh. His voice is very lively. His voice is very lively. And I'll say this again later, but Connor Ratliff, again, if you're if you're listening to this, which you might be, I don't know. If I if somebody did a whole episode of a <laughs> podcast about me, you bet your ass I'd listen to it. We're just trying to lure you in. Connor Ratliff, if you're listening to this, do come be on the Sparkfile podcast. Please do. Please do. Um, No, his voice is not a dead eyes voice. It is distinct. It is lively. And he's a really, really great writer. And he's really funny. I do recognize him, but I have intense respect. Not even having listened to the podcast yet, but when I learned of the podcast, and again, I stepped aside because I knew you would love it. But I was like, 
I talked about that podcast, not having heard it to probably five people. I was just like, this is fucking genius. So mad respect. Yeah. Yeah. And that anybody who does 31 episodes of anything, you could do 31 episodes of just the sounds your farts make. And it would be impressive because most podcasts fade out after what is it like five or something? Oh my gosh, uh, less than three months or not yeah. uh, less than seven episodes, I guess. There's a certain percentage, 75% of yeah. podcasts end uh, before their seventh episode. And I want to say officially, Dead Eyes podcast is so much better than 31 episodes of the sounds that someone's farts make. Oh, and there's your poll quote. Connor oh, Ratliff. Okay. So, okay. Back to being a working class performer in the entertainment industry. When you're a performer or if you're a human who is stepping into opportunities and structures that other people have created, then there are certain things outside of your control, whether you work in an office or on a film set. And sometimes it can feel like you are a human prop or set dressing in service of other people's visions. And sometimes it means that shortly after graduating from drama school, full of youthful optimism and confidence, you can get a job, sign the contracts, and then be fired hours before you're scheduled to film because Tom Hanks thinks you have dead eyes. Mm. And sometimes your representation will make the mistake of sharing that assessment with you and that information will burn a hole into your brain. And that information and that hole that it burnt into your brain can change your trajectory. And if you're Connor Ratliff, you may stop pursuing your dreams of becoming a performer and work at the Union Square Barnes & Noble for 13 years before dipping your toe back into improv comedy and show business. Wow. Yeah. Bless him. I was going to say it's kind of a dickish move to give someone to share that note because it is not, what are you going to do to change your eyes? Oh yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's the kind oh, yeah. of thing I could just worm around in your brain, settle in, obviously take hold and, yeah. and, and be something you think about at every audition ever. Yeah. I think that it was just sort of a messy mistake and it's information mm -hmm that clearly should have never gotten back to him. Yeah. Because when you're a performer, you know this, Cams, when you're a performer and you're in front of an audience or in front of a camera lens, it adds a level of scrutiny that is already a challenge to navigate sometimes. And then you have comments, yeah. criticism, positive reviews, like any sort of input about some aspect of your, whether it's your appearance or the way your voice sounds or your this or your that, the way you say a certain line a certain way or your catchphrase. And it's just like, you can get all up in your head in a way that is not useful when you're trying to appear unobserved. And people forget that there's a human being behind. That's right. That it's not just like, yeah, I guess when you're looking and you're assessing a reel or a piece of video, it's easy to be like, nah, I don't know, his hairline looks funny or, uh, you know, her lips are thin or, you know, that you're making observations and you forget like that's a human being with feelings. And most of those things aren't said when that person's in the room. Somebody shares an anecdote about how a director has said to them, you are not allowed to watch the dailies and the rushes because when we're in that room, we need to be able to say, oh, what is their neck doing? And oh, that take that their voice on that take. And just to be able to yeah. just be direct and clear. And if you're the actor whose face is cast up on that screen, it's just too much. It's And sometimes like that's not even it. When they say, what's their neck doing? What they actually are making a note for the cameraman, like what the hell is the angle you're shooting from? Like that needs an adjustment. But as the actor, you're going to hear like, my neck is weird. Yeah. My neck is funny. What's wrong yeah. with my neck? Laura, did you ever have like a, like in your, and this could be any type of creative, not just a performer. Did you ever have like a dead eyes moment where someone said something that just like lodged in your brain and, and pulled you up short for a time? Yes. Are you hesitant to speak about I it? I am. I am. But I'll bounce that question right back to you. <laughs> All right. I see what you did there. Uh -huh. Yeah. I think I probably shouldn't 
Yeah, I did have a, I probably had more than one, but the one that jumps to my mind is I was so excited. I, this was years ago. Gosh, this might, this really was like 20 years ago. This might be my dead eyes experience. I was cast in a short film directed by Jim Jarmusch. Jim Jarmusch is sort of this like super, I thought he was so sexy. He looks like this tall, I thought he was like a tall ghost. He has like white hair and full lips and he makes like these like sort of independent films. And I was so excited to be in this very small short film that Mm he wrote and directed. Who wouldn't be excited about that? And I was, I was playing opposite um, an actor who many of you may love their work. I love their work named Chloe Sevigny. And it was bad. It was a bad experience. And I got home from that shoot and literally it was, it concluded on a very, very cold winter's night, night shoot outdoors in Chelsea. And he was just yelling at me and it was like, I couldn't do anything right. And I got home from that shoot, like crawled into bed and didn't come out for a few days. And I thought, I don't think I can be in this business. What was he yelling? What were, what was it about? I was so, you know, when I get into that fear place, I get really brittle and sort of, I I couldn't take direction well because I was just like, I felt like I was doing it wrong. And he was just like, I, I wasn't doing what he wanted me to do. And he was losing patience. Everyone was very cold. It was the middle of the night on location. And he was just screaming at me. And it was tough. Oh, Suze. I yeah. am so sorry you had to experience that. Uh, it was terrible. And I thought, I, I really set me back. And I thought, I can't be in this business. And um, years later, I went in for something with the casting director who had put me in that. And my let me try that again was I really thought about it. I really had processed it. And I went in and I sat down and I and I just said, before we read for this, I just want to tell you, I feel like I really failed at that in that beautiful little film that you cast me in. And um, I feel like I've grown so much, grown into myself so much, and I'm just thankful for an opportunity to read for you again. And you know what they said? What? We don't remember anything about that. Uh-huh. We didn't, we don't remember ever <laughs> hearing anything in negative about that. And it was one of those things where I had carried the story That's right. for decades. But how lovely that you got to rewrite the ending. You got to, you know, feel complete about that and let it go. But for a long time, I thought about it a lot and it really, really set me back. Um, So I relate deeply to Connor's story, but let's talk more about Connor. I, I think the thing that makes Connor's story unique is that number one, even after experiencing profound professional disappointment and being blown sideways by a powerful person's opinion of him, he eventually also found his way back to doing work that he loves and work that he's very, very good at. And number two, with this podcast, he pulled off, again, one of the greatest let me try that agains I can think of. He extended this story. He rewrote the ending for himself. He created the thing that he is now most well-known for. And I think he would say the thing that has brought him the most success, this podcast called Dead Eyes. That is how you do it. That's how you do it. So when we teach the let me try that again process to people, and we we do this in our in our um, Sparkfile community. That's right. We absolutely do. When we share this, because we think it is such, I wish everybody, every human, not just creatives, was aware of this process. We share this passage from the podcast, You Made It Weird, with Pete Holmes. Pete's guest was Rob Bell, and Rob Bell said this. Imagine you're at a dinner party seated next to Alan, and Alan is like, I was pretty good from the beginning. And then I tried some new stuff, and I was pretty good at that. And then I branched out, and I tried some new areas. Turns out I was winning there, too. At some point, you're like, Alan's a dick. I don't like his stories and I don't even like Alan. It's just a flat line of success and winning. And Rob Bell goes on. The thing that we most regret and wish hadn't happened to us is the thing that rescues us. It's all the bumps and obstacles. The worst part becomes the best part. The game is to give the failure whatever expression it needs in the moment. But even in the moment, being able to say, 
I wonder what this will do. I wonder what I can do with this. So end quote. Thank you, Rob Bell, for those words. Thank you, Rob Bell. I I think Rob Bell is talking about expressing curiosity even when failure is causing you real-time pain. It's putting the pain in the light. Literally, instead of like, I have this shameful thing buried in my past that I carry with me that no one can see, I'm actually going to take it out, put it right in front of everyone, shine a light on it, amplify it. Yeah. To do like the opposite of what it feels tempting to do. Yeah. I will also say sometimes that work, when you're in the wound of it, like when it is an open wound, yeah. I think that is the time to do that work privately. And when it ha- is a scar, then you can start making 31 episodes of the Dead Eyes podcast, you know? Yeah. Or it maybe it's maybe it's not wholly healed, but it's it's on its way. Like you've done some work on it. You have to have some perspective on it at that point. Yeah. I can tell in our clients' work when they're writing, you can tell so clearly when someone they may be writing from they may be writing from a wound or they may be creating something out of a scar. And there are times when I'm in one piece of writing where I'm like Scar, 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 wound, wound, scar, scar, Still scar, wound. wound. Still like wound. You, yes. can, you can just tell so clearly. And I think, Oof. I think Connor Ratliff is truly like he is making something from a, a scar, like a healed scar. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting because he had also already processed enough to, like you said, get back to auditioning. And I'm, uh, you may be about to tell us more, but get back to auditioning booking roles, yes. um, doing work, and yes. then could go back and revisit like, hey, That's right. now let's put this in the light. Yeah. yeah. And I think yes to all of that. And I think there were some other factors that I'll get to in a second that I think are really relevant to how do you, well, how do you get from the wound to the scar and you know, what factors are relevant there? So um, on the Dead Eyes podcast, which again, it's so funny, it's beautifully written and it's gorgeously produced. The use of music, the way it's edited is like, it's just top quality through and through. Um, Connor Ratliff sets out across these 31 episodes ostensibly to discover the real story behind why Tom Hanks fired him (laughs) from a small role in the 2001 HBO miniseries Band of Brothers. But it is so much deeper than that. And along the way, he talks to a slew of world-class artists to learn about their own dead eyes experiences, those times when they lost the job or shit the bed or received tough criticism or felt like a flaming curveball was hurled at them or their work and what they have made of it. Mm. On episode five, Connor talks to the musician Amy Mann. Amy Mann, who is so wonderful. Originally, Amy Mann, you know her from Voices Carrie, but has made so much beautiful work Mm -hmm. since then. And Amy Mann agreed to talk to Connor because she was a fan of the Dead Eyes podcast. I I just have a question. How did he research? Because I have attempted to do some research on failure. Yeah. And I'm so curious. I wonder how he like how he became aware of who the people were that were willing to tell their stories and had big failure stories to talk about. Well, I think everybody, any artist who has been working for any period of time has them in their trunk. They they have them, but I think he sort of followed a breadcrumb trail and people that were magnetized to him like Amy Mann. Yeah. I also have a suspicion. Amy Mann seems to be a friend to comedians. She's on Portlandia. She does the theme song for I Said No Gifts for Bridger Weiniger. Like she's a friend to comedians, it seems to me. She appeared on the scene because it seems like maybe Connor knew her before, maybe he didn't, but she seemed to be a fan of this podcast. Awesome. And I think that he just followed the trail and then asked the right questions. And I love the questions. And I feel like they are versions of questions that we talk about on our maker sods about tell us about a you know a time when you failed. And mm-hmm. and just to normalize the fact that all of us, we all fail. All humans and artists fail. And it's what you do after that matters. If you're not failing, you're not doing anything. If you're not failing, you're not doing anything. Come on. So the connection to Amy Mann is significant because Connor 
had listened to Amy's music when he was grieving his firing from Band of Brothers. Uh. He listened to an album that she had put out uh, close to that over and over and over again. And because Connor had created the Dead Eyes podcast, he created an opportunity for Amy Mann to become a deeper part of the narrative 20 years later. This became not just an artist he admired whose music he loved. She became a discussion partner. And then, if that weren't delicious enough, Amy Mann provides a whole catalog of music that we hear threaded throughout the run of the podcast. Amazing. And every episode, it's a fresh Amy Mann song. It's like she opened up her catalog. That's amazing. Yeah. And in a, in a way, again, this is also like manifesting opportunity for yourself, manifesting like dream conversations for yourself and, and dream collaborations for yourself. Yeah. Make your own work. Yeah. And invite people into and it. And invite people into it. Oh, you know, we've yeah. done it with the Sparkfile podcast. We yes. do it with like our classes. People come and, uh, you know, people we admire so much come and teach and work with our groups. We did it with title of show. When you are making something of quality, it magnetizes people to that. You know, it magnetizes all sorts of people, including established artists who admire what you're doing. And that's exactly what Connor did. In that conversation, Connor says to Amy Mann, I like turning things that are failures into art. I think trying to be successful and failing at stuff is really interesting. And I sort of approach everything from the point of view like, well, this will be really great or it'll be a complete failure. But even then, it can still be molded into something great. Yes. Yes. It's that that thing. It's either going to be a great work of art or it's going to be a great story. You're going to have something at the end of the day, no matter yeah. what, if you're doing yeah, you're doing. And what Connor's yes. made is a great story and a great work of art. Hells yes. Yeah. Now, did he happen to say, did he feel that way about it 20 years ago when it first happened? Or is this sort of knowledge and wisdom that has come about over time? Oh, over time. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I cannot stress enough. Let me just say it again. Connor Radcliffe, shortly out of drama school, gets cast it, it's a small part, but it's exciting, and it points to a potential for what his career is going to be. Like, he's thinking, this is a huge television event. This is a huge production. They're recreating World War II. This is the beginning of my life. He tells his family. He tells friends. He's excited. He signs the contract. He is ready to film when he gets fired, and it was such a blow. It laid him so low that he... Worked at a Barnes and Noble for 13 years. I mean, flattened you. I get it though. I get it. Yeah. I yes. get it as a sensitive soul and as just like a human. You know, I always admire, like Billy Eichner, when we talked to him on the podcast and he was like, oh, you have to be able to read the, the reviews. And I was like, I, for respect to you, Billy, but I do not have that skin. I don't have that thick skin. And I, I just think- it, it is, you You think that the next 72 hours of your life are going to be like, you're going to be like, oh, P.S. Tom Hanks was directing that episode. So it, he likes starring with these actors you admire, directed by Tom Hanks. Steven Spielberg is producing. And then what happens is you get sent home on a train in tears. For something it, that you have zero control over. Yeah. Like what? Oh, yeah. And when you're not an actor who's been in the game for 20 years... It feels really, really important when you don't have like a ton of rejection and a ton of success behind you. It feels really important. Well, yeah, because that comment feels also definitive. It feels like decidedly so. Yes. And you don't have like, but wait, here's look at, look at me in four films. Like, look, my eyes are not dead. You don't have that. You don't have that body of evidence built yeah. up yet. Yeah. Mm. I mean, for my part, it's so much easier for me to take rejection and even criticism now because I'm like, oh, I have a huge body of work and a huge body of evidence and all sorts of things that I can point to for myself. Yeah. But when you're just starting out, 
you're listening for all the clues. And if the clue comes back that, oh, now we've gone a different way, we're still going to pay you, but you're not going to get to do it because you have dead eyes. Like that is devastating. Oof. Yeah. So there's this episode of the podcast where Connor recreates the scene that he was fired from <laughs> on the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers. And it features most of the actual actors whom no. he would have played opposite when he <laughs> failed with the job. Are you so kidding me? He, no, he actually makes contact with, or they make contact with him, frankly, Ron Livingston and Stephen McColl and acts out the scene on the podcast. Uh-huh. As scripted, uh-huh. he even extends the story and writes and performs a little fan fiction centering <laughs> the part that he was cast in and lost. Come on. This is amazing. <laughs> it's a great, let me try that again. Does he? So who went on to play the role? And does he connect with that person? He does. Amazing. He does. He connects with that person. He connects with um, historians to learn more about the person <laughs> on whom the role is based. Like he learns more about World War II. Yes. This podcast goes in so many different directions. One of the criticisms that he got early on on the podcast was sort of like kind of what my dad would call thin soup that's thin soup. Like, what are you going to do? And he would be like, my response to that is I'm going to sit down. I'm going to put five minutes on the clock and I'm going to write as many ideas for episodes as I can. He made a list of what are all the different things? What are all the different episodes I could do on the Dead Eyes podcast? If someone's going to tell me, (laughs) where are you going with this? It's not enough. It's too thin of a conceit. He was like, Really? Because here's 31 episodes worth of ideas about what this could be. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He travels a lot of terrain. It's really, it's really great. Uh, In that episode where he recreates the scene with the actors who actually were in the scene, he says this. I will admit that creating a bonus scene of Private Zelensky Band of Brothers fan fiction is an indulgence, yes, but fundamentally a harmless one, and I do not regret doing it. On some level, maybe this is all about control. As an actor, you are rarely in control of your own circumstances unless you generate your own work, which comes with its own set of difficulties. You're usually relying on other people to say, Yes, you can play this role. You are what we are looking for. You get the part of this thing we are doing. Now, why did I do all this? What was the point? Well, part of it is I finally got my chance to hang out with Ron and Steven. Those are the other actors in the um, in that scene. <laughs> the way we might have done when we all broke for lunch. And we got to do a scene together. But I also got something more. These conversations were better than anything we would have said to each other back then. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just chit-chat. We got to talk honestly about what we were actually feeling because none of us are nervous about being in Band of Brothers anymore. (laughs) This was a big deal for me. These were the real guys. I mean, not the real guys, but these were the guys who pretended to be those guys for the miniseries. And I almost got to pretend with them, too, on HBO Now we made that happen on my little podcast. I mean, holy, let me try that again. So amazing. It's so good. He's so good. And to just even to see the beauty and see the good in it. Talk about having gratitude of like, we actually had a much better conversation than I'm sure our 20 year old selves would have had. Oh, yeah. Um, This is far more fascinating and probably more like connective tissue between him and those guys now than just having done some scenes 20 years ago. Totally. Totally. Amazing. I got to say this podcast is star studded. Connor Radcliffe, you roll deep and talk. He talks to so many fantastic artists. He interviews Tony Hale on the podcast. Tony Hale, you might know from Arrested Development, he played Buster. He won a million Emmy awards for Veep. Tony and I did a play together years ago. He's a total sweetheart. And it was interesting to hear him talk because you think, Tony Hale, he's set. He's this great person. He's a great actor. He works on great material. He's got a great family. He makes great money. But Tony was sharing the disappointments that he still experiences in his career. And he said something to to our earlier conversation about how do you set yourself up to process a let me try that again in a way 
<laughs> that maybe you you can access more easily. Tony Hale said this, it really caught my ear. It's a weird uncertainty we walk in, this kind of walk of faith. When I talk to students, I always say, invest in your community before you invest in your career, because it's your community that's going to give you longevity, because they're the people that are going to see you for who you are, when in the business, you're just a number sometimes. That's the only way I really survived was the community that I had gracefully been given when I was in New York, just my good friends, and that I could just, you know, come back and be like frustrated. But then they just kind of encouraged me on and see me for who I am. And it was just everything to me. That's totally what kept me going. Wow. As we say on this podcast, we believe that everyone is creative but smart, creative people don't go it alone. Uh, and I think Connor is modeling that in this podcast. He's not a kid anymore. He's a mature creative who has surrounded himself by good people who love and support him and his work. And I think that can make the flaming curveballs easier to process. Amen. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. While you're building up your body of evidence about your value as a creative, surround yourself with a like that good, strong community. It is just essential. There's plenty of people that are going to tell us, you can't do it. That seems weird. I don't know about that. You have dead eyes. I mean, there's you're just going to hear literally anything from anyone. And you've got to have that group of people that know you yeah, and can look at you and say, I know who you are and what you're capable of. Keep going. Yeah. We love it. Keep going. Yeah. Um, Throughout the podcast, again, there are so many episodes where artists we all admire share their own dead eyes moments in their careers. Connor talks to other now notable actors who auditioned for Band of Brothers and didn't make the cut. People like <laughs> Zach Braff, who you know and love from Scrubs, and Adam Scott from Parks and Rec. Um, Judd Apatow. Amazing. Tells about a time. This is amazing, Laura. Judd Apatow talks about a time that some feedback from Jim Henson got back to him. Jim Henson, whom Judd Apatow revered, Jim Henson, whose Sesame Street taught Judd Apatow to read. It got back to Judd Apatow that when Jim Henson, Jim Henson was considering hiring the adult Judd Apatow for uh, some work. And Jim said that Judd lacked warmth, which Judd admits was his deepest fear. And Jim Henson, it got back to him that Jim Henson said, like as a performer, he lacks warmth. and. While Judd Apatow is doing just fine, he said those words haunt him to this day. Like he still thinks about that. He needs to do a podcast. He needs to do a 31 episode podcast. Wow. And he call, he can call it Lax Warmth. Lax Warmth. Yeah. At the end of that episode, Connor says, if Jim Henson was the guy who taught Judd Apatow how to read, I think Judd was the guy who taught me how to fail. And sometimes you fail by doing your best and then learning the right lessons from it when that's somehow not good enough. Often the ingredients for future success are buried inside those failures if you're not too embarrassed to look at them closely. I'm going to say it again for the people taking notes. Often the ingredients for future success are buried inside those failures if you're not too embarrassed to look at them closely. That's right. So the beginning of Connor Ratliff's podcast, Dead Eyes, he positions it as a mystery. Will he be able to find out why Tom Hanks fired him from a small role in the 2001 HBO miniseries Band of Brothers? But in the end, this podcast is so much more. It is one artist's successful attempt at extending their own narrative and rewriting an ending that is much more deep, nuanced, and satisfying than it would have been if he had never been fired by Tom Hanks at all. So thank you, Tom Hanks, for <laughs> Tom this Hanks. fantastic story. Yeah. I mean, in a way, that's how, if you're Connor, you could look at it and be like, I'm so grateful that happened. Again, that's how you reframe and and keep writing until the end of the story is different. Yeah. Everything will be okay in the end. It's not okay. It's not the end. But that implies that you have to keep writing the story. That is correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we make of it? 
What do we make of it? Uh, If you have a podcast, listen how Connor Ratliff crafts his sponsored commercials. Almost all of them relate back to the work (laughs) of Tom Hanks, and it is masterfully done. Hats off to you, my friend. Really, really well done. That is awesome. That is awesome. Clearly, Connor Ratliff went back and sampled the entire Tom Hanks oeuvre in order to prepare sure. for this podcast. It's masterfully I mean, done. Well, that's just a delicious bank of of possibilities and ideas. It's a spark file of its own. It is the Tom Hanks spark file. If you teach acting, I believe this podcast should be required listening for your <laughs> students. It is the most complete depiction I have ever heard of what it's like to be a working actor, whether you're a person who recently graduated from drama school or a working class character actor or an Emmy winning TV actor or a two-time Oscar winner. Instead of offering some cliche like this business is tough, if you can do anything else, do it. Encourage an aspiring actor to listen to this podcast. It's realistic, it's optimistic, and it it provides this great sparky model of how to process creative disappointment and how to create your own work successfully. So so, um, listen, if you're running an acting program, if you teach acting, I'm telling you, make this required listening. Yes. Another, what do we make of it? If you're in a position to give feedback, like if you're a casting director, a talent agent, a director, a friend, a peer, a member of a writing group, be thoughtful about the way you speak about people and to people about themselves and their creative work. Be thoughtful Mm, mm, and know that mm. (laughs) a misguided comment can really put a cigarette burn on somebody's brain and really waylay them for years. So be thoughtful. Don't be sloppy. I think about it also in terms of the people that we love most. And sometimes there can be a casualness that like from you to me or me to Wes or you to Nathan or, or Hunter to you, or there can be a casualness in feedback because we think like, oh, it's safe to say they know I love them and I can just yeah, say yeah, that. Yeah. And no, I know. Like everyone think before you speak. And and some messages aren't meant for like if you're like for instance, if you're an assistant at a casting office or at an agent's office, like just be judicious and filtered about um, what gets passed on to actors because we are our own tools. You know, artists, actors, writers, we we are the product, we are the tool, we are the vessel. And I think that, you know, being thoughtful about that feedback, if it is something that someone might be able to grow and learn from and make an adjustment that could help them book work in the future, that is great. It might still sting, but that could be great and just what they need to hear. If you are commenting on something that that person does not have control over. Oh, my God. And there isn't anything that they can do to make their eyes less dead as you perceive them to be, then maybe that's not a helpful bit of feedback. I remember a casting director saying, listen, as long as your hair is that color, you're never going to work in this town. And I was like, are you fucking out of a Damon Runyon? Like, I was like, you're never going to work in this town. It's when my hair, my hair has been all the colors, friends, but it it was red. And they were like, you're never going to work in this town if your hair is that color. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, thank you for your truth. Um, Sorry, but I do believe I could name a couple of people with red hair that have had uh, fantastic careers. Their hair color didn't stop it. Yeah, I worked. What a weird (laughs) thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But like we say around the spark file, do we say this? I don't think we do. I don't know. What are you going to say? Opinions are like buttholes and everyone <laughs> has a bag of them. <laughs> um, The bag of buttholes. Yeah, I guess. I don't think we do say that, but maybe we should. I do think that casting directors with young actors get real casual. They get real casual and it's sort of like, just be thoughtful, friends, be thoughtful. More, what do we make of it? Listen to the great Tony Hale. Invest in your community. Invest in a full, rich life that is more than your work. Invest in your mental health. Cultivate interests other than your professional ambition. And also cultivate your evidence file of, of your wins and your successes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Amen to that. Yeah. Yes. And if you get a harsh review, if someone doesn't like your work, if someone says you'll never work in this town with that hair color, you can let me try that again, that shit. Know that if you approach perceived creative failures with patience and curiosity, if you ask, why is this happening for me? Instead of why is this happening to me, you are setting yourself up for growth and you are opening up the possibility of continuing the story and trying again. Yes. 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 I, I highlight and circle and underline all, all of the above. This is so joyful. I keep thinking about a, a what do we make of it is what if you gave yourself the assignment of whatever my biggest bit of criticism has been, what if I were doing a 30 episode podcast about it? <laughs> How would I go about that? Who would I have on? And it be like, from what can you examine it from every angle? And I just find that to be fascinating. I think about like Meryl Streep, she was famously told she wasn't pretty enough. And like early on, before Ah. she got, I think, Deer Hunter, she was up for like King Kong and they were just like, who the hell sent this woman in here? Wow. She's like, basically like you're a dog. That's Ah. when people actually called women dogs. And and so like, let's say you were given the criticism that you weren't uh, pretty enough. What kind of podcast, like what episodes could it be? Like you could do one on like what is considered empirically beautiful? What are like beauty standards? What Who are other people that were told they weren't beautiful enough? I just think like what a fun assignment. Whatever your form is, whatever form you're working in, whether you're a woodworker, if you're a painter, if you're a writer, if you're a songwriter, I love this assignment. I love this assignment, Laura. Look into your heart and think about maybe a little scarred wound that you have had. And um, I don't know, what, what, let me try that again, would you make in your genre? I, I like it. love this. I am smitten with Connor Ratliff. I am just smitten with it. I've I, since the moment I heard of this, and now hearing even more about it, it's just deepened my love, and I need to listen to that podcast. And here's a quick. Let me try that again. I'm pretty sure I mispronounced your name at some point during this episode, Connor. And so let me just clean that up right now and say this is Connor Ratliff. I'm pretty sure I called you Connor Ratcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe? I think, I think there may have been one of those up near the beginning, but it's Ratliff, Ratliff, Ratliff. And the podcast is Dead Eyes, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're a performer, it is a bag of sparks, so get into it. Or even if you, I, I think even if you have put your work out and gotten any kind of criticism from uh, anyone, yeah. even your mother, Like if you have gotten criticism, I bet this would be an amazing podcast. Yeah. Also, uh, here's another, what do we make of it? It got me watching Band of Brothers. Yeah. It got me watching Band of Brothers. And now I'm learning more about the horrors of war. So a tiny invisible hat tip to you, Connor Ratliff as well. Finally got Susan into Band of Brothers, learning about World War II. Maybe Saving Private Ryan is next. I don't know. It's so gruesome. It's, it's really realistic and really it's a, it's woo. Well, war, war as hell. I think I'm gonna check that out, and I will do a po- I will do a spark about my grandpa, and then we're gonna be able to confer more deeply about World War II and grandpas and dead eyes and all of it and all of it, friends. Oh, that's it. Good spark, Suze. Thank you so much. Thanks, Cams. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Connor. This episode of The Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape people. And as always, we hope it put another bunch of sparks in your file. Listen, if there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to learn more about how to coach with us to bring your creative ideas to life, email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. Hey, we will even take your feedback quite happily, but you know the price of admission. First, you've got to share a creative risk that you've taken recently. You can follow us on social at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and five-star review this podcast. It really helps other listeners to find us. Also, if you like this podcast, straight up share it with people that you love. And if you didn't like it, I'm sorry to tell you, Tom Hanks called <laughs> and he thinks you've got dead eyes. <laughs> and a dead heart. We've decided to go a different direction, <laughs> listener. <laughs>
If something lights you up and gets your creative sparks flying, we are writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that has been knocking at your door. It is your turn to take a spark and fan it into a flame. You know, you got to take it and make it. Bye. Thank you, Laura Coward. Thank you, Connor Ratliff. Thank you, Dead Eyes. Thank you, Susie B. Bye. Bye. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my spark files. Could be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my spark files. I jump into my spark files. Let's open up the spark files. Hi friends, it's Susan Blackwell from The Spark File, your one-stop shop for creativity where our doors are open. And if you smell something delicious, that's because Laura Camion and I have been cooking up something special, something designed to make a big difference in people's creative lives. Enter The Brave Creative, a free five-day guided adventure to rediscover the vitality energy and possibility in your creative process. Whether you're a writer, a performer, a baker, a candlestick maker, navigating the creative process can be a bear. But never fear, there's power in numbers at the Spark Files. So let's link arms and make the trip together. It's May 13th through 17th, 7 p.m. Eastern, less than one hour per day. And if you can't join live, don't worry about it. You can watch the replay. Join us by going to thesparkfile.com to register. And hey, if you're not familiar with the Spark File, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Secondly, we work with hundreds of creatives of all different kinds who are ready to take their next big step. We help folks fear less and create more in a community that is so fun and vibrant. And if you have joined us before, know that we are going deep with the Brave Creative. So buckle up, Buttercup. It is going to be an awesome adventure. Go to thesparkfile.com to register, but do it soon because it all starts May 13th. Thesparkfile.com. Register now. Register now.